theextraordinarychurch.ca podcast, where ordinary people experience extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. You are about to hear a message that will encourage you to become and experience all that Jesus Christ has for you. Are you ready? Open up your Bibles because something extraordinary is about to happen. So it's going to be a lot of scripture today, and I'm going to start at 1 Corinthians uh, 1. I'm going to try to get through all of chapter 1, and I don't know where we'll end up, uh, but I just felt like this is what the Lord wanted me to do, and so I'm going to do this today by faith. Now, I want to give you some context that I think is really important. First of all, if you don't know, uh, for those of you all who are, first of all, everybody can learn no matter where you are. Can somebody say amen? That was weak. Let me, just, uh, let me just give you a little insight. If you have crossed the finish line, you are finished. You're done. But if you're constantly saying, hey, I'm going to grow, the beautiful thing is, you know what? A teacher will always be in the room if a mentor is there uh, or student is there first. And so as long as we posture ourselves to be a student, we can always learn. Now, the Bible is written over a period of 1,500 years, and it is a collection of books, uh, but it is really called the book, and it's a collection of 66 books. It's divided up into two divisions, primarily the Old and the New Testament. Um, And something that's important here, whenever you're studying the Bible, there are a few things. I won't itemize all of this, and I don't have time to give you what I would consider to be Old Testament or New Testament survey. But whenever you're studying, you do want to ask yourself a couple of things. You want to understand the audience that is being written to. It's really important. Uh, You want to understand the cultural context. You want to understand the time period. This will help you better get your mind around what was happening and what the Lord was addressing. Context is everything. Does that make sense? Context is everything. Uh, And if you don't have context, it's funny how you and I could be looking at the same exact thing, but context would give clarity like, oh, well, that's what he's doing. Oh, you might think, uh, I'll give you an example. Let's say... uh, you know, I'm at, I'm at a store, and I've made arrangements and to pick something up, and I run back, and I, I left my bag, and then I go back to get it from the front desk or whatever, and I walk back out the store. Well, if Sarah saw me there the entire time, she knows what I'm doing. She knows I'm not stealing. Somebody else in the back of the store who wasn't there saw the same thing. It might be like, get him. He's stealing. Context is everything. Context is everything. So, When we talk about the book of Corinthians, there are a couple of things that I want you to understand. Paul is writing to, and this is the reason why I felt like the Lord drew me to this book. Oh, I got to push timer because we're going to be in trouble today already. Thank you, Jesus. I was preaching somewhere last night, and uh, they said, oh, you got 20 minutes. He said, well, maybe 30. I said, okay, I I, I did it in 17. I did because I gave myself a timer, praise God. I said, y'all lucky I'm not at home. If I was at home, I said, it'd probably be a good hour, praise God. Anyway, so uh, context is everything. Corinthians, when Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, um, he is writing to a group of people uh, that live in a similar area like Mississauga. The population is about 750,000 people. Uh, about 400,000 of those people are slaves. 
they were not counted in the census. Uh, that's not how Rome worked. They did not consider slaves to be a part of the census and to be a part of the population. And there are about 350, about 360,000 Roman citizens. So we have about 750, 760,000 people there living in Corinth. Now, there's more than that in Mississauga. I think once another census comes out, we probably have closer to 925,000 people. Mississauga is the sixth largest city. Uh, might be the fifth now in Canada. God is doing something. So here they are in this context. It was also a uh, financially vibrant city. It was known uh, for its financial commerce. As a matter of fact, it was like the financial mecca of Rome. It was considered the Wall Street, if you will. Uh, and so this resonated with me because one of their leading industries was banking. And so you want to keep these things in mind. There's something else that was very prominent in uh, culture in Corinth. They were very educated people. And because they were educated, they loved to philosophize. They loved to, uh, they loved to hear themselves talk. You ever been around somebody that likes to hear themselves talk? Don't look. Some of y'all was like, don't look to anybody. Some of y'all was looking to your right and left. You're just supposed to keep your eyes on me. I'm going to have to give you a disclaimer next time. Eyes on me. Don't look at you. This is not one of those look at your neighbor. But you get around those people. The people of Corinth were like that. They liked to talk. And they would actually see if they could outsmart one another. And your credibility uh, was largely predicated upon three things. Money, affluence, your education, and your ability to communicate. You got to let this thing sink in. This is context. So three things I just gave you. Money. I don't have any notes here, so I'm just, just, I'm just trying to flow in the spirit. Money, affluence, education, intelligentsia, right? And your ability to communicate. These are three things that they hung their hats on. Now, Paul started the work, okay? Paul is an apostle of Christ, and he went around starting a lot of churches. As a matter of fact, everywhere he went, if Paul was being sent of the Spirit, he knew he was going to start a church. He tells us this later. He's like, man, look, yes, I'll baptize people, but I'm here to declare the gospel for everybody. And Paul would start these churches. Now, I'm going to show you something, but I want to give you context because Something that's important. Let me help you. Whenever you're studying Scripture, too, you need to know Scripture will always interpret Scripture. You never have to worry about it. The Bible tells us in Peter that it's of no private interpretation. So there is no way you and I should be coming away with different conclusions if we allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. Okay? The Bible's in perfect harmony. Now, uh, yes, it was written by man, but the author is God. The Bible tells us that we understand that men were moved by the Spirit of God, and they began to pin these things down as God spoke. Now, here's something crazy about the Word of God. The Word of God is so powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, the book of Hebrews tells us. But it's also so cool that it's literally the invisible holding up the visible. What you see right now is being held up by the Word of God. The Bible says through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. You don't walk in any house and say you have amazing framing. You can't do that because you don't see it. 
But the framing is holding up what you do see. The Word of God is no different. It's literally holding up everything we see. And so when you're looking at the Word of God, we go to the book of Acts. Acts, Acts is uh, the recorded Acts of the followers of Christ, the apostles, okay? And it's really, uh, what's really cool, here's a little side note, that the book of Acts has no amen, no let it be, no selah, no finality to the end of it. Every other book there in the epistle, uh, you know, the New Testament, they do. There's a finality to it. It's like, we're done. But it's never intended. It was not God's will to say, hey, this was a day of miracle signs and wonders, and this stops. No, we should be living and experiencing miracle signs and wonders today. Today, right here, right now, you and I can experience a miracle by faith for the glory of God. And I'm not trying to minimize this, but I'm not talking about uh, a flower budding out of the ground. I'm talking about cancer being dried up. I'm talking about the dead being raised. I'm talking about somebody being delivered. I'm talking about bona fide, legit miracles. That's the will of God. So I'm going to read to you Acts chapter 18. Uh, I'm going to read to you um, Paul's journey to give you some context because he starts this church this way. Uh, look at Acts chapter 18, verse 1, and I'm going to read through verse 11, and we're going to see how well the media team and I can stay connected here uh, because I haven't even looked at my iPad yet, so I'm just I'm doing this as the Lord leads. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar departed or deported all Jews from Rome. Wait a second. Let me go back real quick to verse 2. You might be wondering, this is really important. You know what linked up Paul, or excuse me, at that point, uh, Paul to uh, Aquila and to Priscilla? Occupation. They were tent makers. God, right now, some of you all don't realize it, but you are on assignment with your job. God has you divinely placed right there to connect with people. And in this case, it could be such an extraordinary connection, a church can be born out of it. Why can't we have a church at Starbucks? Why can't we have a church at your university campus? Why can't we have a church? What's, well, we don't want to put your employer out there, praise God. I was going to say. But why can't we have a church at these locations? So this is how they connect. Let's continue. Verse 3. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers, just as he was. Each Sabbath found, I ain't telling you to let your colleagues come home and stay with you. You might want to vet him a little bit. I did, not say, I did not say do that. Each Sabbath found Paul. Look at this. Paul is about a mission. Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all his time preaching the word. Did you catch that? Paul spent all his time declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. I've got news. I'm going to declare it. Jesus is the Messiah. He's able to save. Hear me, Mississauga. Hear me, greater Toronto, Hamilton area. Jesus is the Messiah. 
And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, oh yeah, go to verse 6, uh, but when they opposed and insulted him, Paul was like this, shook the dust from his clothes and said, that's fine, your blood is on your own heads. You think you can handle it? We're going to find out and see in a minute. I'm innocent. From now on, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go preach to the Gentiles. That's kind of how I feel. I'm like, I, I can't fool with these religious people, Alex. You know what? But I will go preach to some people that are hungry for a move of God, that are hungry and broken and don't have it all figured out. And they're like, hey, I need something real. I'll go preach to them. Then he left and went to the home of uh, Titus Justus, a Gentile who worshiped God and lived next door to the synagogue. <laughs> Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, and were baptized. Now, this is important. Um, let me go back to verse 8 real quick. This is important. Crispus being a leader of the synagogue and everyone in his household believed, it's not uncommon at all in first, second century. If somebody, uh, let's say I'm the, I'm the leader of my household, if I get baptized, my whole household will follow suit. They'll come into agreement and alignment with what God is doing in my life. And so this was not uncommon at all for an entire household to say, man, we believe we're going to trust Jesus Christ. And that's what we see happening here. So this gives you some context, verses 1 through 8, as to Paul's missionary journey in Corinth. Now we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Now, check this out. This letter is from Paul. He's telling you that he is the writer, chosen by the will of God. In other words, Paul is saying, I did not choose this myself. I'm in the will of God. Can I just tell you, there's no place to be like when you're in the will of God. And this is different because Paul is like, hey, as much as some people like me, you know what? Peter, I didn't seek his approval. God called me. As a matter of fact, if you read in Galatians, Paul tells us that I was in the desert for three years all by myself. I got what I got from God. And I'm telling you, he's like, hey, I'm in the will of God. I didn't choose this vocation. I was doing just fine, so to speak. I'm being facetious or hyperbolic. Listen, uh, but you know what? He's like, hey, God chose me. God chose me. This is his will. It's his will. You can't, I did not go into this thinking, oh, one day I'm going to be a pastor. And, and I'm going to call it Extraordinary Church. That was the furthest thing from my mind. As a matter of fact, I was like, Jesus is real? When I received the Holy Ghost, I was like, yo, Jesus is real? I was like, like real, real. I was like, not a game, real. Like, Jesus is real. Y'all don't know nothing about that. <laughs> Y'all don't know nothing about that. Y'all like, what? What are they doing? Can we get that John V. King? Jesus. <laughs> yeah, anyway. So I was like, yo, Jesus is real. This is not a game. I, I was like, like, real, real. Not like some idea in my mind. He's real. To be an apostle. So it was like, hey, God, he, he, he called me, and here I am. Uh, I was like, yo, when he called me to preach, I was like, you got it wrong. 
I was like, you, you did not pick the right individual. Uh, later, I finally acquiesced, if you will, kind of relented and said, God, because I was miserable. Let me just tell you, you'll be miserable when you're not in the will of God. You can't, you can run. There are people right now. I ain't even going to look at some of you. Praise God. I'm going to just run to the wall. I'm going to just run right to the wall like I'm in trouble because I know y'all give me that look right now. There are some of you right now in this place under the sound of my voice that know you are not in the will of God. You are running. You are running. Stop running. Stop running. Okay, now I can look at all of y'all. Praise God. Woo. Let me just look at everybody so I can just get it out the way. Because I was feeling a little nervous. Thank you, Jesus. You know what? You'll be miserable when you're not doing His will. But the joy, hear me, and the grace and the peace that God will give you when you're in His will. So, Paul is like, hey, I've been chosen by the will of God. The Lord later called me, I acquiesced. And you know what? You'll be amazed what a growing yes will do. You'll be amazed what a growing yes will do. Um, I don't normally do this, but my family keeps calling my sister. If you just go, and like this is the fifth time. So just make sure everything is okay. Um, so I... A growing yes will turn your world upside down. A growing yes will turn your world upside down. And God will pull out of your life so many things because you have, there is no, you have no idea what's in you until you give God your yes. There are some authors in here right now, and you might be in your 50s or 60s and not realize it, and God will pull that out of you because you have a yes in your spirit. Yes, you can't live on yesterday's yes. You and I have got to be willing to give God a yes right now here in this moment. Can somebody say amen? All right. Man, I haven't even gotten past verse 1. Thank you, Pastor Barry. Thank you. Praise God. To be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother, Sosthenes. I'm thankful my parents named me Akil. Praise God, because I was like Sosthenes. I was like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to just skip because it's, it's, some stuff is bleeding out here. Check this out. I'm writing to God's church in Corinth. Who is he writing to? God's church. Where? This is really important. You got to catch this. Because the Bible, there are some general letters, but then there's some specific ones. So he's not writing to everybody. He's writing to believers, God's church in Corinth. I have some specific things to say to you at Corinth. This is really important because people will ask me, and I believe and declare by faith that we are the fastest growing church in the, greater Toronto, in the, in the nation, reaching the world. We believe that. I give God praise. We understand why we exist. We exist to help ordinary people experience extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. And forgive me, we didn't even make our biblical declaration. But you understand, here's what I want you to understand. God, I, I, I'm not looking. Here's what your pastor doesn't do. I don't follow other churches. I, I don't even follow other preachers. I have no clue what the preacher down the street is doing. I have no clue what the preacher in the States is doing. 
I have received. This is not some right-click, copy-paste. Uh, let me see what, I'm, I'm only saying his name because Prophet was with us not too long ago, and he called him out. I was like, why did he call out Joel Osteen? I was like, <laughs> I have no clue what Joel Osteen is doing. I'm not interested in what Joel Osteen is doing. What I'm interested in is the heavenly assignment that God has given me and this local house. And that plan is not a plan where it's like, oh, did, do, 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 that's a good idea, Christianity 101. No, I need a thus saith the Lord. And this is what God has given me. God has given me a blueprint from heaven for this region. God's given me a blueprint from heaven from there for this region. And so what God is doing here, and here's to show you how crazy this is. I, I wish I had all day to do this, but the reason why this is important is because when God gave me this, I, I, I met, I told you all, the Lord told me this. He said, uh, some of y'all, we'd have to go way back, right? He said, you're on supernatural soil. And I thought, amazing, I'm on supernatural soil. Okay, Lord, what does that mean? And within two weeks, within a two-week period, I received three text messages from three different people who may know one another, but like we have never hung out, talked in a group or whatever. All three texted me, Dan McLeod, Victor Jackson, and Bobby Wade. They said, Akil, the Lord is telling me to tell you you are on supernatural soil, two of which said you need to meet Alan Shaw. I'm so focused on what God has given me, I don't really work the room. Now, I love you all, so I'm going to get around everybody here at Extraordinary Church. This is my calling. But, you know, when other ministers get around, they like to rub shoulder, whatever. I'm like, yeah, there you go, whatever. I just sit by myself. I don't, I don't really do that. And so I didn't know who Alan Sharm was at all. I'd never even heard of him. And even when they told me I needed to look, uh, connect with Alan Sharm, I didn't even look him up. So I get a phone call. I know the Lord is probably like, it's this boy. I get a phone call like a week later. And they're like, hey, um, Alan Sharm was in town. And, okay, Alan Sharm is in town, and um, they want to have, he wants, he and his wife want to have dinner with you. So I was like, okay, well, praise God, we're going to do it. So I said, hey, look, I meet with him, never met him before in my life. The moment I met him, I knew I was in front of a man of God. And I had never had any interaction. I said, Bishop, we've never met before, but let me Please, let me, give me five minutes to share what the Lord has given me. I don't know why I feel like he wants me to do that, but I'm going to do that. And he said, okay, um, share it. And so then, he, and I said, I'm shutting up, and I'm going to listen. He said, okay. It's probably a good idea to shut up and listen. So he begins to talk, and he says, son, what you don't know is my wife and I were here in the 70s in Mississauga, and we, were, we started something. And he said, I, I shut myself away. Now, this is crazy. This is how you have to have a blueprint from heaven. I showed him and shared with him the plan that God had given me. This man never met him before. He's planted thousands of churches, Pakistan, Malaysia, all over. He said, I fasted for a week. I didn't even talk with my wife. I refused to see my wife. Some of y'all are like, can I go on that? Fa-? No. I saw it. I saw it. No, you can't. I'm just kidding. All right, now, I don't need all that. I don't need all that. I don't need all that. No, you can't fast your wife. Praise God. No, he's fast. We like to have fun at Extraordinary Church. Praise God. Some of y'all. That wasn't funny. Oh, you'll be all right. Get over yourself. 
So he says, I fasted a week. And my wife was there. He said, the same plan that God gave you was the plan that God gave me. And he said, I have wondered for years, Lord, why would you not allow me to implement and release in Mississauga what we have done in Pakistan, Malaysia, and in other countries? And he said, now I know why. The Lord has me in front of you. He said, and that weight, that mantle, that anointing is on you to fulfill what this is not what, hear me, first of all, let me just tell you, we're not here to compete with any other church. We are here to complete the body. We are here to complete one another. Somebody ought to give God praise for that. We're not here to compete. You know what? And I'm not saying this like I'm some supernatural, super spiritual guy, but I'm so fixated on the heavenly gaze that God has called me to do, I don't have time to be distracted by anybody else's assignment. When you are part of Extraordinary Church, I want you to lock in on what God is doing at Extraordinary Church. I'm going to say that again. I needed a better amen. I want you to lock into what God is doing here at Extraordinary Church. This is where God has planted you. This is where God wants you to blossom and bloom. God has a plan and purpose for your life, and it will come to pass and fruition here in this local context. So here they are, the church of Corinth. And this is how I know this, because if you read, you have to the church in Rome, to the church of Galatia, to the church of Philippi, to the church of Ephesus. I could go down the list. So we need a specific scenario or plan or blueprint for us. So here is Paul. He, he goes on to say, look, uh, I'm writing to God's church in Corinth. To you who have been called, you can just keep the scripture up there, and uh, that'll, that'll work. Great. Oh, and you know what? I'm like, you know what I'm going to call this? I'm just going to call this being boldly biblical. I'm going to call this being boldly biblical. Uh, he says, I'm writing to God's church in Corinth, to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. This is important. Now, these people weren't living the most morally upright of lives. They were doing some wild stuff, fam. And God wasn't condoning what they were doing, but he is acknowledging that you're mine. And he is therefore implying that I'm still working in your life. They're, they're suing each other. In some cases, there's incest happening. And God tells them, I've called you to be my own holy people. God is not intimidated, hear me, by your mess. God, I wish I had somebody that could help me right now. God is not intimidated by your mess. Even when you're in the church, you're going to make a mistake, and God is not put off by the mistake. He's telling you, you're still mine. I've still set you apart. That's what holy means. I'm still doing a work in your life. Your failure is not final. You can pick back up, get back in the game, and I will use you. There's still a calling on your life. You've been called by God. Look at your neighbor and say, I've been called. Come on, you got to believe that. Look at your neighbor and tell him with conviction, I've been called to 
be his own holy people. You belong to him. See, before, before you get caught up in being called to preach, called to teach, you're called to belong to him. We don't belong to anybody else. See, when, if you get it backwards, you get all bent out of shape. And that's when people get upset because this didn't work their way and that way. No, 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 no. When you're called and you belong to him and you understand that, then Jesus is enough. When Jesus is enough, you're not, looking for the, you're not looking for somebody to hoop you or hype you up. You're not looking for somebody to affirm you. Y'all not going to help me today. You're, you're not looking for, oh, is this okay? You're not trying to please people. You're not. When God called you and you understand he's called you to be his, you belong to him. And you want to give yourself all of who you are to him. Nothing else matters. Here I thought I was going to get through all of chapter 1. Wow. Okay. He made you holy by means of Jesus Christ. How did he make you holy? The fact that God robed himself in flesh, died for you and I. That's the only reason you're holy. The atoning work of Calvary is the reason why all of us can stand sanctified, justified in his presence because he paid the criminal's price for us. Now, check this out. I got some, some of y'all don't like this, but I love it. Just as he did. See, the Corinthians were elitist. They thought because they were affluent. They thought because they were intelligent. They thought, you know what? Oh, we got things together. We communicate very well. They thought, who got it like us? Paul had to set the record straight. Just as he did for all people. Everywhere. Jesus Christ is for all people. Last time I checked, all means all. So we are inclusive. This is for everybody. Black, white, I need somebody to clap. Red, yellow, brown, purple, makes me no difference. Jesus Christ is for everybody. Broke. Educated, rich, uneducated, incarcerated, makes me no difference. This gospel is for everybody. This church exists for everybody. Anybody that's willing to say, I need him, is welcome here. So, he says, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's setting up a Okay, I thought that was me. Who is timing me? Is this what we're doing, fam? Timing the pastor? Praise God. Some, I mean, I'm just trying to have, I, I started with 30 minutes. They, give, they shaved off too. God, I'm going 45 minutes today, man. Praise God. I, I need to get 45 and then I'm going to get out the way. May, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now, there's nothing like the grace of the Lord. We are able to move forward. You don't realize how much, see, some of us will be praying like, I need a supernatural. No, you need the grace of God. This is why Paul told him, he said, this is extraordinary stuff, your fam. 
he's like, hey, God, I'm struggling with this. This is really getting on my nerves. And the Lord tells him, my grace is sufficient for you. See, you, when you receive the grace of the Lord, you won't be so quick to get out the situation. Because you'll then say, God, you're doing a work in me and in my character. And so the church is in a little bit of turmoil. You know why? Because they got people. That's why we say no perfect people allowed here at Extraordinary Church. Because you will not find one. And they, they had drama. So not only did they need grace, but they needed peace. They needed peace. So check out what Paul does here. This, this is crazy. Um, Paul says, I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you. Now, why is Paul talking about this? Remember, they relied upon their affluence. He said, I always thank my God for you. Now, this is crazy because he's thanking them and they're acting up. He said, but I still thank God for you. Isn't it nice when somebody hasn't given up on you? We can't write people off. Praise God. Paul's like, I thank God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, God has enriched your church in every way. What is he saying? Get over the fact that you got, you know, everybody dressed up, bougie. Get over all that. And you're comparing your bank accounts and your positions and your roles. God has enriched you in every way. And here, this is like, like Paul saying, and he's like this, with all of your eloquent words and knowledge. That's not a compliment. We're going to find that out in a little bit. He's like, God's enriched you in every single way with your, with your words and your eloquent stuff. So watch this. Check this out. This confirms. That what I told you about Christ is true. <laughs> this is so crazy because he's referring back to when he was preaching to them and planning the church. He's like, hey, now you know if you were looking for confirmation, you got confirmation right now that God is moving in spite of you. Okay? It's true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is important because you need to understand God has given you everything that you already need. That would make me really excited. You have everything that you need. Extraordinary Church has everything that we need to turn our region upside down. Extraordinary Church has everything that we need to see the dead raised and give God glory. God has given us everything that we need. He will keep you strong to the end so that you'll be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. We don't preach about the returning of the Lord uh, that much anymore. We did a series on it not too long ago. Uh, you can go back and, and, and watch that. But I want you to know that God will not only keep you, but he'll keep you strong. Praise God. The Bible talks about in these days, you know, Daniel said, hey, you're going to do some great exploits. And you can only do great exploits if you're strong. I want you to know that if you understand that you've got everything you need in Christ, you cannot be weak. 
I'm not talking about, sure, I understand Paul said, in my weakness, I understand his strength is perfect. But what I'm talking about is when you're abiding in Christ and you're depending upon him, he is going to get the job done through you. So check this out. Uh, He goes on to say, uh, God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says. And this is really cool. And he's invited you into partnership. Do you realize God wants to partner with you? God wants to partner with you in a way to do something amazing with his, with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, check this out. This is, I, I want to hurry here. Uh, he says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters. Now, this is like Paul begging, like, yo, fam, please, please. I'm appealing to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. You know what they're doing? Man, they are arguing. They wilding out. Now, keep in mind that this church, they didn't come together like we do today in this context. That happened a few centuries later. A few centuries later. Uh, what's happening now is they would meet in houses. And, you know, you'd be like, hey, where's the church? They wouldn't be like, oh, uh, get on Confederation, make a left on Floridale, make a left on Mimosa. See that big building? No, they'd be like, um, what, what is that big head man's name? What's that big head? Uh, Akil. Akil. Yeah, you know, he lived right around the street. Just, you, if you don't see the head, you'll hear the noise. You, you go down to his house. Yeah, he's a follower of the way. He's a, and, and that's what they do. And so here... Paul is he's addressing them, and so they were having some issues and discussions because, remember, everybody wanted to seem smarter than the next. And whenever they got an opportunity to talk, they wouldn't shut up. And so here's what he says. Now, you would think that Paul is doing this like, watch this. This is key. This is why context is everything. You know how you get some Pentecostals? Like, this is, I didn't grow up in church, right, especially a Pentecostal church. So I told you, when I first started praying, because uh, I would go to the prayer meetings. And when you go to a prayer meeting, you know, the, the, a red-hot prayer meeting, you think that you had to be foaming at the mouth. So when I came in, I was just like, nah, 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 nah. I'm just screaming and, I'm, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the most. Kind of like those people, like, you know, they think that something more is going to happen when they yell, like, in Jesus' name. Like they, put, it's like they just stretch out Jesus, like they say, go. No, 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 no. Let's say a soccer match. So, Paul is not saying, like, like in deliverance, like, Jesus' name. No, when he says the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you know what he's referring to? Love. <sighs> he is saying, listen. You think you got it all together. You think you got it all figured out. And you're dependent upon your money and your positions. But I'm appealing to you on something that transcends all of that. I'm appealing to you on the love of God. The love that God came, robed himself in flesh, 
and was crucified on a cross. They considered that to be a curse if you hung on a tree. Read Deuteronomy 29. It's there, I believe. It might be 28, uh, where they thought it would be a curse if they were hanging. They hung our Lord on a tree, humiliated him in front of everybody. He died a criminal's death. Why? Because of his love for you and I. While we were yet sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for the ungodly. Is this helping anybody today? Love changes everything. And when he says, I'm appealing to you, predicated upon love, what he's saying is, let love be the motivation. When love is the... People want to get context. This is why when he drives home the 13th chapter, he started in chapter 1. We like to go there, but Jesus Christ is love. So he says, I'm appealing to you. When you love one another, guess what you can do? You can live in harmony with each other. <laughs> Praise God. I want to live in harmony. I do not want Bella to be like, mm, he can't sit here. I would rather Bella be like, oh, let me move this. You can move it. Praise God. Thank you, dear. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to sit. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Sit right here and just feel at home. I feel closer to Bella than I do this right over here, this thing. Thank you, Jesus. But if I have love, let me rephrase that. I have love. If Deborah Lee had love, she would have moved her stuff. But Bella has love for her pastor, and she made room. When people show up, look, she done put her stuff right back, too. I tell you, boy, she don't love me. Talking about something. We came, we came to church today. She was like, hi, Sarah, I love you. I said, oh. I said, must be nice to be loved. Praise God. Must be nice. Thank you, Jesus. So, love makes all the difference, fam. Are you hearing me? So, check this out. He says, live in harmony with each other and let there be no divisions in the church. Uh, <laughs> this is how we're going to be successful. We're going to live in harmony. And there's not going to be any divisions. Because a house divided can't stand. He said, so instead of us, you know what he's doing? Let me just help you. Instead of us puffing up or highlighting our differences, instead of us highlighting our disagreements, He's telling us, be of one mind, united in thought and in purpose, okay? So, because here's what he's doing, because you know how people like to give you certain aspects of a story. Read verse 11. He said, for some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. See, they had written to Paul, but they didn't bring up that they was fighting. So Paul had to find out from somebody else. He said, oh, somebody from Chloe done told me. My girl Chloe, you know, that, 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 she, she, she peeped me into what's going on here. Some of you are saying, I am a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos. Others, or I follow Peter. Or I follow only Christ. Now, this is important because one reason why they love them some Apollos, what did I tell you the three things that they were crazy about? Affluence, education, and communication. 
Apollos was known as the silver-tongued preacher. This man can get up, give me the mic. Just, I'm going to preach this thing. I mean, just kind of like that Jordan spirit. And I'm, I wish I had that. I wish I had that. I don't have, I don't have it. Y'all see my mom for a minute. I mean, just the way, he, can I stand that cool? Praise God. I don't have it. I don't have it. I, 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 not that I don't want it. Praise God. I'm going to let him have it and flow in it. Praise God. That's why we're the body of Christ. Can somebody say amen? Praise God. Come on, somebody say amen. Give God praise. He says, so they love them some Apollos. So here they are. You got people. Now, I know you might be thinking, well, I don't do that. We do it on social media. You follow your favorite preachers. Some of us, before we identify as Christ followers, we drop in who we connected to or the church we are part of. What are we doing, fam? What are we doing? Paul's like, no, 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 no. This is not how this is supposed to be. He, he, he goes as far as to say, is Christ divided into factions? He's even asking, really, uh, he says, was I Paul crucified? Because when he says that some of you are saying you follow Apollos, you follow Peter, you follow Paul, or you follow Christ, are you likening Apollos or Peter to Christ? He's like, you're really tripping now. So let me get it straight. He says, was I Paul crucified for you? Here it is. Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Because let me just tell you right now, Paul ain't saving you. Apollos ain't saving you. Peter ain't saving you. But when you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, all your sins will be washed away. Paul's like, of course not. He says, I, he goes on to say, man, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you all except Crispus, Gaius. For none, none of you can say they were baptized in my name. Oh, yes, I, I, he's like, I forgot. I also baptized the house of Stephanus, but I don't remember baptizing anybody else. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news. Now, here's the kicker. Here's when he just told you, you got to go. Now, I didn't say he didn't baptize because he did, but Paul knew his assignment. This is why you got to know your assignment. This is why, oh, my God. This is why Paul was so comfortable saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to do some of this. Apollos might do some of this, but ultimately it's God's doing. You got you to let this get in there. So he's like, oh, um, let me hurry up because I, I want to do a few more things here. Um, for Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news. We each have our own assignment that we need to walk in. We each have our own gifting and calling that we need to walk in, right? Uh, listen. I'm not saying I'm the one and only because that's not it. We bring in a multitude. We, God's raising up speakers, preachers, teachers, and I thank God because we're going to plant a lot of churches. But you know what? Uh, God's raising them up. But we need you to stay in your lane. I'll stay in mine with your various giftings. And that's how we complement and complete one another as the body of Christ. So he says, Christ didn't send me to baptize but to preach the good news. And watch this. And not with clever speech. Oh, this did not go over well. 
because they are thinking, I really wish I was listening to Apollos right now. But Paul said, I didn't come with clever speech for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. In other words, he said, I didn't come to impress you with an expansive vocabulary and the fact that I sat at Gamaliel's feet. I didn't come to entice you with my words and my persuasion. I come to sound like a babbling idiot so that you would know that it is not me. There's nothing good in me. But when I preach the cross of Jesus Christ, it is the power of God unto salvation and it will change your life. It's not about the words. It's not about the popularity. But it's the power of God unto salvation. If you believe that, give him praise. Here at Extraordinary Church, I didn't come to impress you. I didn't come to get your approval. I came to declare the power of God. I come to preach the gospel and to say he saves to the uttermost. If you believe that, give him praise. Oh, Jesus, help me. I'm going to close because it's too late. I did look at the podcast and I preached for an hour and eight minutes last Sunday. It's too long. Don't worry, I haven't been preaching that long. Some of y'all looking at me like, it's good for the ride. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. You do love me, I guess. Y'all can begin to play. Let's give them hope. Let's give them hope. Let's give them hope. Praise God. I didn't do it. Chris, Chris joked and said that I would. He told Mia, he's going to look back. Your dad's going to look back and say, baby girl, won't you get on the keys? Or, or Pookie, why don't you get? You don't got to worry about that. I was like, no, that's not going to happen. Somebody else in this house may call you baby, but I'm not. And praise God, I can call you baby girl. I, I sure ain't going to call you Pookie. It's Chris. dog. I don't know. <laughs> All right, anyway. I'm but he says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. The fact, see, what the Romans believed is their gods that they worshipped would never, would never subject themselves to a criminal's punishment. proud. They, they, they couldn't get their mind around that. The Jews thought there's no dignity in that. But the cross and to our God, he says, I love you so much. I'll come and do what nobody would ever think possible. I'll come and put myself in flesh and live secretly for 30 years for the most part and nobody know. Walking amongst majesty and glory. The one who was full of grace and truth. Walking through the market. Running errands for his parents. This is why they looked and said, 
Can this be the carpenter's son? And then, all of a sudden, something shifted. He said, something about the fullness of time. He said, now is the time. And he began to reveal himself. And you know what's amazing? He revealed himself to the most broken and destitute people. That's why we're here. I'm here for those that are broken. I'm here for the drug addict. I'm here for the affluent person too. But I'm here for the person who is willing to say, man, I'm so lost. I'm so lost. This God came and the grief was so overwhelming when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jemima, you know what he said? His flesh. He was, this, this is too much. I'd rather, I'd rather them deal with their own eternal damnation than for me to deal with all of this. But nevertheless, let your will be done. And it was so overwhelming, the weight of humanity's sin, that the container began to bleed. Because without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. And as he began to drip blood, he was apprehended by a group of people who once cheered him on. Hosanna! Hosanna! But in a few moments, they're about to shout, crucify him. Crucify, kill him. Can you imagine? They scourge him, beat him, mock him, spit upon him, make him carry his own cross, rip flesh off of his body, humiliate him. He is naked in front of everybody. And he's completely innocent. So much so that even a carnal man like Pilate could say, I find no fault in this man. What do you want me to do? And the people said, kill him! Kill him now! Got on the cross. Nails through his hands and his feet. They even put a crown of thorns on his head to mock him. What king you must be. That seems like foolishness to them. But to us, it's salvation. To us, it's hope. To us, it's peace. To us, it's victory. To us, watch this, who are being saved. Know it's the very power of God. Being saved. Being saved. Why don't we stand? You know what's happening? We're in process right now.
you are in process of being saved. You'll never not be in process of being saved. God is doing a work in your life. You know what that theologians or want to be Bible study teachers like me, we use this term called sanctification. It means simply, and this, I like to use everyday terms. We're in process. <laughs> We're in process. You know what keeps you in process? The cross. Did you, hear, did you catch that? The cross keeps you in process. Why don't we lift our hands unto him for a moment? Just begin to talk to him. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, come on, that's it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Why don't you just begin to worship him and begin to bless him? Some of you, it's been a while since you picked up your cross. Some of you, it's been a moment since you've taken up your cross. Can I tell you, if we don't take up our cross and follow him, we are not a disciple of his. We got to take up our cross. Why don't you just continue to worship him for a moment? Thanks for listening to our podcast. Join us next week for another message of hope and life in Jesus. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address to all of your friends, extraordinarychurch.ca. We are a young church plant with a lot of people living an extraordinary life in Jesus. If you're looking for a way to become better connected to what God is doing, email us, info at extraordinarychurch.ca. We'd love to hear from you.